morning, everybody. Hope you've had a great week, great weekend. Uh, what do you do when all of your teams lose in the same weekend? You wear the home team, so that's what's up. Uh, wearing the home team today. Uh, we're in Tempe, obviously Tempe, so ASU. But um, I'll go ahead and throw that out while since I brought it up. We are a church, but we meet in Tempe in our home. We'd love for you to come be part of what we do. This is not church now. This is just me unpacking the, the word and um, preaching it, basically, so that we can all come back together tonight and talk about it. So we'd love for you to come. You can find us online at a website. You can email us. You can hit us up on social media, however you want to do it. Um, and let us know you're interested. We would love for you to come. We'll tell you how to find us. Again, we're in Tempe, so if you're in the East Valley, um, well, I don't care where you're coming from, but if you're in the East Valley, you're going to be closer, of course. So we'd love for you to come. We spend a little bit of time eating, spend a little bit of time in prayer, spend a lot of time in the Word, and uh, just very easy, casual environment. We're discussing things. We're praying together. We're getting to know each other. We're eating. We're hanging out. Simple, fun. Um, but most importantly, it's a body of Christ where we're digging in the Word. So we'd love for you to come. Anyway, uh, part of the reason that we, we, we push coming at, uh, as a group to, to the night service, I'm going to spit this out in a second. <laughs> part of the reason that it's bigger than just this video is because we believe as a church that the, the values of our church are unconditional love. That we want you to feel loved, regardless of what baggage you're bringing in, regardless of what background you have, regardless of what somebody may have told you. We want you to feel loved. That requires that we get together and you spend some time with us. We want you to hear the truth, the uncompromised truth of the Word of God. Bigger than Dave and what he preaches on Sunday morning. We want you to hear the Word of God. And then we, most importantly, we want you to be part of a, a unified mission. And that mission is to make disciples. If you're a believer, you're, you have a responsibility per scripture as an individual and as part of the church to make disciples. You know how to do that? Do you know how to say, yeah, I've made a disciple here? Do you know how to do those things? Well, I'll tell you what, we want you to. So come get involved, come here, we'll teach you, we'll show you, we'll walk you through this being a disciple who makes disciples because we want to see God grow churches. We believe if we grow disciples, he will grow churches. And we want to see churches grow because we believe churches change communities. So anyway, uh, we are moving on. We are in Genesis. So go to Genesis. And uh, we're talking about is God among us. Today, we're going to look at is God among us as a friend. Um, not one of us among us. Still distinct, still holy, still unique, still separate. But is he among us as a friend? And our theme verse, Revelation 21, verse 3, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. So today we're going into Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. Uh, I'm just going to give you two verses today. Of course, we will look at more than that. But we're focusing on two in particular. Matthew 5, verse 24, which says, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And then Genesis 6, chapter 6, very next chapter, verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. 
Thank you that you've left it to us, that you've entrusted us with it, God. And I say us, I mean bigger than just me. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in and through your word, that it would bring glory to your name. And God, that as I get the privilege to open it, that people would hear from you, not from me. That I would hear from you, not from me. And I ask these things for your glory, in Christ's name, amen. Dump these glasses right here. Um, so, is God among us as a friend? Um, that's where we're going. And I was thinking uh, as I was getting into it, kind of reminded, uh, I, I help with the high school with the football team, and I'm cutting up with these guys all the time about their ladies. And it's just brought back a lot of memories of a high school days and stuff. And I remember one of the things that was the worst thing as a guy you could possibly have happen was to have a girl put you in the friend zone. All right. You know, if you're a guy, you know what I'm talking about. Particularly if you were crazy about that girl, you know, uh, you know, there was another similar scenario that was, you know, if you asked a girl out that you'd been after for a while or you'd liked for a long time and she says, uh, no, that she, she's crazy about you, but she doesn't want to mess up your friendship. Um, so frustrating. And as a man, though, we pretended, or we, 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 uh, kind of do the same thing. We do the same thing. We have categories the same way and with our friends. We have the guys, typically, and then the girl over here. And they don't, they don't intertwine. You know what I mean? They might know each other, but we tend to put them apart. So when we get older, we're hanging out with the fellas, but then we go home to the wife. That kind of thing. Just as people in general, we tend to put others into categories. That's, that's what I'm talking about here. And we try to guard those categories as though they can't be crossed without some kind of epic disaster happening or at least the risk of it. I remember one of the things that made my uh, decision to marry Molly such an awesome and easy decision was that we became best friends first. I remember meeting Molly because she was in my circle of friends or I was in her circle of friends. I don't know which way it worked. We had the same friends already. And then we quickly became best friends within that group of friends. But we never separated from them, that group. And when our friendship moved to relationship and then moved to marriage, our friends stayed the same. So basically, we became best friends who were married with the same friends. Too often, we think of God as the overlord God or the king or the ruler or the supreme being. And yes, he is those things. And yes, he can do things for us that are amazing. And yes, we serve him in, in, in that kind of way. But we can we really call him friend? I mean, we can't do that. I mean, we can't call him friend. He's Lord and these are my friends. He's Lord. These are my friends over here. Or we go the other way. More popular thing in recent years has been to put him into the friend zone, put God in the friend zone, and separate him from his holiness. So now he's not king or any of those other things. In fact, he's my homeboy. You know, the church. Jesus is my homeboy. So we go all the way down and, and do that. So, look, the truth is he's all of those things. He's all of those things. But because we tend to think of him in only one category... We tend to find it hard to believe that he can be in both. That he can be holy and also be among us. That he might walk with us 
like a friend calling his friend and still be creator of all things. Which I get it. Is That's tough. Is that heresy to say? Is that heresy to say that God would walk with us? To call God a friend? Is that heresy? Do we have permission to do that? Would he actually call us friend? So today, what does walk with God mean? It's mentioned with Enoch. It's mentioned with Noah. What does walk with God mean? He's not just a voice in the sky. At the very least, it means he's knowable. Okay? It it means he's relatable. It means he's involved. He's, He's connected. He's involved in our lives. And because of that... We can share our lives with him. Think about that now. God is inviting us to share our lives with him as friends. Walking out each day with him as friends. How awesome is that? He is among us, walking with us as friend and friend. So today we're not going to use a whole outline like I do sometimes, just kind of a statement. Uh, But we'll look at three examples of that. And the statement's basically this. God walks with the righteous because he desires to be with them as a friend desires to be with a friend. Just think about that statement. That's my statement. I'm not quoting scripture, but think about it for a minute. It's from scripture. God God walks, excuse me, God walks with the righteous because he desires to be with them as a friend desires to be with a friend. And I'll give you three examples. We're going to look at Enoch. We're going to look at Noah, as I already mentioned. Then we're going to look at Jesus really quick. So, um, and, and, and I want you to know right up front, we're not looking at these like they're about gaining rewards. It's not if I walk well enough, then maybe God will take me and I can escape death. Or if I walk well enough, you know, like Noah, maybe I can escape destruction if it comes. That's not what we're trying to look at. What we're trying to just focus on is the fact that God actually walked with these men. And if that's something you desire, then look, man, keep keep the button on play. You know what I'm saying? You're going to hear it today. And the thing is, he was Lord. He, 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 he is. He was. Even then, at the time of Enoch and Noah, he was Lord. Then he was God. He was holy. He, he was actually uh, bringing, especially in Noah's case, he was bringing judgment. It was some wild times with him as creator, king, ruler, and whatever. But he was also friend, and he walked with these guys, even in those worst of times. So let's look at it. Enoch first, verse 24, Genesis chapter 5. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So the word walk, there it is. Let's wrestle with it for a little bit. Walk, right up front. Enoch walked. Walk means to go along or to go alongside of. To go along, walk along, or to go alongside of. That's the picture that we're being told that God did. The Hebrew word is halach. It means to move on foot. If you're speaking literally, if you're speaking figuratively, it means to practice a lifestyle. Or metaphorically, it means to practice a lifestyle. So metaphorically, it's practice a lifestyle. Literally, it's to move on foot. So the big question is, which one are we talking about here? Was God literally walking alongside him on foot? Or is this metaphorical of God walking alongside him? And the truth is, we don't know. But I want to challenge you at least a little bit to think, what if it's more than just a feeling that Enoch had? What if God's presence walked with him? All right. I'm not saying it did. I'm just saying, what do you think that life is like? 
Just think about it a minute. To be described, Enoch walked with God. What do you think that lifestyle looks like? What do you imagine? Is it possible that God did appear and walk with Enoch? Is that possible? Don't, don't, let's not, let's not fight about whether it happened. Just think for a minute. Is it possible that he appeared and walked with Enoch? Or is it just strictly metaphorical? Can't possibly mean that. No. There's a good argument for it because if for no other reason, we know in, with Adam and Eve, we already looked at, Adam recognized the sound of God's footsteps. Could be the same here. And as we will go on through the text of scripture, looking at is God among us, you're going to see there are times where he is most definitely there, okay, in a very physical, visible way. So now I'm not going to argue that today. That's not my point necessarily. But I just want you to consider it as we walk through this a little bit. Because the fact of the matter is the beauty of it is the friendship that God seeks. That's what I'm really laying into. It notes here that God walked with him twice in these three verses around there. I didn't read the others, but let's look at them. Genesis 5, verse 22. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So for 300 years, he walked with God. What he did the 65 years before Methuselah, we don't know, but we know whatever happened at year 65, things changed with Enoch, and he walked with God. What a wild statement to put there, too. I'm not going to read it, but look at the text of Genesis chapter 5. You have this long list of, and he fathered, and he died. And he fathered so-and-so, and he died. And he fathered so-and-so, and he died over and over. And then suddenly he walked with God two times, and he was not. That's wild. So what does it mean to walk with God? You ever heard somebody be just, or maybe you've described him as, man, he eats, drinks, sleeps, football. That's all he does. Eat, drink, sleep, football, or whatever. Fill in the blank. Man, all she does, eat, sleep, and drink politics. That's all she does. I feel like that's all any of us have done, but thank God that's over. (laughs) But... But that's the idea that, that that they to describe somebody that way is like saying they walk with in this case football or politics. But it's the same idea. It's it's their life, and maybe it was Enoch's spiritual walk that we're talking about here. Certainly it was, but it could it have been also that God came and literally chose to walk with Enoch at times as a friend. I think so. We focus too much on the taken aspect here, but. What does it mean that God took him? Let's look at it for just a quick second. Verse 24, God walked with, or Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Basically that means to buy and remove something for yourself. I'm going to buy it and I'm going to take it for myself because I've bought it. Or in marriage, I'm going to take a wife, I'm going to take a husband for myself. So that's the idea that God took him. Now Hebrews 11 verse 5 is one of the rare other places where we see Enoch mentioned. He's mentioned by Jude as well, but we need not go there. Let's look at Hebrews 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken or removed, he was commended or approved as having pleased God. All right, so he was literally removed by God. He did not die. God took him away to be with him. I love what Spurgeon said about it. He said it was not that Enoch merely thought of God, 
that he speculated about God, that he argued about God, that he read about God, that he talked about God. He walked with God. In his daily life, he realized that God was with him and he regarded him as a living God, very important term, in whom he confided and by whom he was loved. What a definition of friendship that is. What a definition of friendship that is. Maybe God enjoyed his time with Enoch so much so that he just said, hey, you come up here with me. You just come be with me so we can always talk. I don't know. I mean, I'm adding that. We don't know. But to walk with God, we do know his lifestyle, without a doubt. Whether he is physically there at all times, whether he is physically there at all, whether it's metaphorical, either way, it is a lifestyle. It's not a moment of faithfulness. It's not saying I walked with God last week. That is not a walk with God. That was a faithful week. Understand? Uh, that lifestyle, though, listen, of walking with God, it ends in our death. And by that I mean our own life is forsaken. Our own life is forsaken for that walk with him. And it begins his life within us. My favorite verse, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified, past tense, with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. That, that's the picture. That's the picture. That just like Enoch's walk with God meant an end to his life. Not physical death, but an end to his life. But the reward of being with the Lord was so much greater. When we turn our life over to Christ, it's the same thing. It's the end of our life in that sense. But we never need fear death because he's conquered death. All right? Hebrews tells us that uh, Enoch was approved by God beforehand. That before he was removed, he had been approved by God. Basically, the beauty of that, when you lay it against Genesis here, that he was, he, he, nobody had any surprise that Enoch was gone, that God took Enoch. It didn't come as any surprise to anybody, I would think. Enoch's eulogy or, you know, or his headstone, it's written in scripture right here. Enoch was approved by God. And it was known before he died, man, God, what about us? What about you? If you were gone tomorrow, could it be said on a tombstone, which there's nobody there, it was only for ritual's sake, there was a tombstone placed, and they said, though he's, though he's not here, though she's not here, she was approved by God. She was approved by God. Would God be wasting his time if he did come walk with you? I've been asking myself this question. Would God be wasting his time if he did come walk with me? Enoch being taken here is a beautiful reminder of the hope of Christ, the hope of the cross, the hope of the resurrection and the life. That death does not decide. Death does not decide. Jesus does. Our salvation is by grace through faith in him. And that's a beautiful picture there. But again, the key here that we're leaning into is that God walked with Enoch, that God called him friend. And I know it doesn't say he called him friend. I am taking that word walk, and I am, I don't think unjustly, going to a place where we can see that they were friends, okay? They had a unique friendship. God was among Enoch, you could say, as a friend. And it shows then that it's in God's nature to do that. 
It's in his nature to do that. He is relational. Whether it's physical or spiritual, he's relational. Uh, I'd say it's both. He's a friend. He's alongside us now, right now. Because it's in his nature to be. Walking with us through whatever we face. I love, excuse me, I love Psalm 73. Psalm of Asaph in verse 23. He says, I am continuing with you, Lord. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. That's friendship. That's walking with God. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward you'll receive me to glory. Amen to that, right? Enoch's grandson. Let's check him out right quick. Noah, grandson to Enoch. uh, Or excuse me, great-grandson to Enoch. Verse 9 of Genesis chapter 6. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. To really feel the weight of that, you have to think about the generation that Noah lived in. It was rough. Uh, it was wild. It was almost like a fantasy book, but it's, but it's history and it's truth. If you trust the word of God. You have angels involved in mankind. You have giants, you have dinosaurs, you've got dragons, all that's in the text. I'm not making that up. Between Job and Genesis, you can go back and you can see these things. They're they're there, okay? Uh, some argue that we even had Pangea, one, one piece of uh, earth there, land that's spread out into the continents following the flood. I don't know. We really don't know a lot about it, but what we do know about that time period specifically is described in verse 5 of Genesis chapter 6. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Sheesh. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth as sad a statement as you will read in the Bible. And it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I'll blot out man whom I created from the face of the land. That basically saying, I have a right to do it. I made him. Man and animals, creeping things, birds of heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence and God saw the earth and behold it was corrupt. How many times are you going to say that? And all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. But Noah was righteous in his generation and he walked with God. Noah stood out. No one in his generation could find fault in him. That's what that means. But he wasn't perfect. That doesn't mean he was perfect. That means that no one could find fault in him. We know he wasn't perfect because of multiple verses. I'll give you a couple. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20 says, Surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. All right. Psalm 143, David wrote in verse 2, No one living is righteous before you. God, no one living is righteous before you. Romans chapter 3, Psalms 14, Psalm 53, all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Um, let me give you an example, though, from Scripture, because it could be a little bit confusing. Well, what, if he wasn't perfect, then what, how was he righteous? And if he was righteous, then how, you know, I don't get it. Well, let me give you a good example from Scripture. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. This is uh, shortly before Jesus is born in the manger and all of that. And this is uh, John the Baptist's birth or conception. Either way, verse 5 of 
chapter 1 of Luke. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, sorry. And they were both, both here, both righteous before God, walking blamelessly. Here it is, in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So a lot like Sarah and Abraham, she was old and barren and all that, didn't have any kids. But both were called righteous here before before God and both were called blamelessly blameless in their walk day to day. But clearly they weren't perfect because as the story goes on, uh, Gabriel appears and tells Zechariah that he's going to have a child. It's going to be John. Um, and verse 18 Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife's advanced in years and barren. Same same kind of talk Abraham dropped, you know, to some degree. Verse 19, the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you to bring good, bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So even though they're called righteous and blameless, not perfect. I mean, he ends up doubting the words of Gabriel as soon as he gets told it. All right. Uh, or Job, another great example, Job chapter one, verse one. There was a man in the land of uh, Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Yet before the book is over... God's reprimanding Job as well. So basically it's like this. These people are people who love God. As the Job mentioned, they fear God. They turn away from evil. They love God. They walk with God. Though they sin, they strive to obey and honor him as a friend is loyal to a friend. And just like with us, grace covers their sin. Grace covers their sin. Look back at Noah. Back in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. But Noah found favor, that's grace, in the eyes of God. Found grace in the eyes of God. God's grace covered Noah. Alright? Enoch was taken. Noah was delivered. God re- reacted to both of them. Noah, the picture of Christ in Noah. Noah's called righteous. He's delivers his family from the wrath of God by building an ark and trusting God to carry them through these 40 days and nights of judgment and rainfall and the the many, many, many days that came after of, of the water receding. Jesus was righteous, yet he took on himself the sins of man and he built an ark, which in essence was his body, which he bore the wrath of God on the cross for us. And he's provided deliverance for his family. That's those of us whose faith is in him. So, verse 22, it tells us that Noah did all that God commanded him. So, yeah, there's obedience going on here without a doubt. Because God is holy and God is Lord. That doesn't change. God is separate. But the term walk in here as well, it paints a picture That's more like that of a friend walking with a friend. So it's both of those things. We don't have to put them into categories. They're not opposed to each other. It is both. And it's a great, great picture 
uh, or there is a great picture of it illustrated in the disciples and Christ walking, Jesus walking with his disciples. They're obeying him, but they walk out as friends. And I'll show you. So, so we, we hit up Enoch, we hit up Noah. Let's look at Jesus who was God. John chapter 14. Go there. We'll do this quickly. John chapter 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commandments, Jesus said, and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. All right? He who loves me keeps my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he says. And obedience is intertwined with this loving friendship, relationship, family of God that he's talking about here, even to the point of seeing him. That's what man, I will manifest myself to him. Think about that. They're looking at him standing there, but he's saying, I will manifest myself. You'll see me as I truly am. God, that's what he's saying. It goes on in chapter 15 and verse 12. Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, Jesus, how did you love us? Well, he tells you, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his what? Friends. Jesus is going to go to the cross and lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, verse 14. Think, put your brain around this. This is not just a Jewish rabbi. This is the son of God telling his disciples, you are my friends. He goes on, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master's doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. He's calling them to obey, but he's also calling them friends. And they walked with him very physically and very spiritually. And, and, and a great example of that, Jesus Walked with them on land. He also walked with them on sea to some degree. Look at this. I want you to see this because there's a cool picture going on. You probably know the story. You go to Matthew 14. Um, Jesus sent his disciples here to cross the Sea of Galilee to the other side. Um, and then he said, I'll see you over there and, and plan to come shortly after them. But as they get in the boat and they start to cross the sea on the boat, storm comes. Things get kind of crazy. Uh, and then shortly after that, they see Jesus walking along on the water in the storm uh, past the boat. Verse, I'm looking at Matthew 14, verse 26. When the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Mark says that Jesus had intended, Mark's account, he said Jesus had intended to pass them by. So Jesus was walking along. He was going to go right past them, even though they're on the boat. He wasn't going to calm the storm. He wasn't going to do anything. He was going to go right past them to the other side. Um, but they see him and they freak out. And so verse 27, immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. Ah, don't be afraid. They, calm down. It's me. Don't freak out. And then I probably would freak out even more. But, you know, <laughs> Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now, it doesn't tell us Jesus was a football field away from him. He was probably only a few steps. So we don't know how far, but I'm not trying to get into the, breaking down this whole story of Peter. But the point being, he takes a few steps towards the Lord, however many. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. 
Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying, You have little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. So you have this moment where Jesus is walking along. He's going to pass them by. Peter says, and they freak out. Peter says, Man, if it's you, Lord, let me come over to you. He says, Well, come on then. So Peter gets out takes two or three steps, however many, over to him. And then he begins to realize that, oh, I'm standing on the water here. He also, I believe, looks back and sees the boat because that's where they go. He looks back and he sees the boat and they're safely in the boat. And I'm standing on a storm in the water and what's going on and begins to sink. So the Lord sets him back into the boat and then Christ climbs in the boat with him. But what was Christ planning to do? walk all the way across he was going to pass them by according to mark i believe peter was being given an invitation to come literally walk with god come walk with me all the way to the shore if it's you you want to walk with me come on peter come on out yeah we'll walk over there together (laughs) jesus was headed there already peter looked back at the boat though he looked at the water he looked at the wind he looked at the waves realized it's impossible and they go back to the boat and they take the boat instead but imagine imagine what that walk with god would have been like walking through that storm on the water the impossible with jesus as a friend peter and jesus were super tight friends walking as a friend doing the impossible walking with god all the way to the shore Matthew 28, 20, when Jesus tells his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples, he tells them, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. He walks with us today, all right, as we go to the ends of the earth to make disciples. He is with us always as believers. So, let me close with this. Paul wrote, That we're supposed to walk with him. In Galatians 5 verse 16 he says, I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk with or by the Spirit you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Keep in mind if you're his, his Holy Spirit is in you. It is in you. Now before you scoff at that and say, yeah, well that's not the same as him walking beside me. I bet Moses would trade all of the miracles and all of the appearances of God that he may have experienced for the opportunity to have God seal him and dwell in him. Let's just hold on to that just a minute. The fact that we blow that off means we truly don't understand the miracle that is God in us. All right, that's huge. And remember, he may choose to come walk. He may choose to come walk with you a mile or two. I don't know. But is that something that would be no surprise to you? Because if it surprised you, then that's a problem. If it's no surprise to you or, or, you know, is it just the fact that you're looking for some kind of miracle you want to happen to like reaffirm your faith or whatever? Is your life blameless before others? Is your life blameless before others? In your generation now, is it blameless before others? If not, maybe you need to pursue setting your heart on cultivating a friendship with God. Making him your friend. Being a friend to him. Seeking him in his word. How can I know him better? Honoring his Holy Spirit that's within you. Where I'm walking with the Holy Spirit. Where does the Spirit walk me? 
Maybe one day you will see him here on earth. But if not, listen, I can absolutely guarantee you with absolute certainty if you're his, you will most definitely see him one day in paradise. Because if you're his, again, death does not decide. Death does not decide your fate. Grace does. All right? Maybe uh, maybe that's not you. Maybe, listen, maybe you feel completely alone right now. Maybe you do. Maybe you feel like if there is a God, he certainly is a million miles away from me. Maybe that's how you feel. Like everybody in your life's abandoning you. Why wouldn't God abandon you too? I understand. Maybe you think you're not worth God's attention. Maybe you feel like you're a pretty lousy person and nobody would want to be your friend anyway. Well, listen to me. I want you to know something. You are wrong. Wrong. You are wrong. He loves you. He loves you more than anyone has ever loved you or will ever love you. I know this is a truth. He wants you. He wants to walk with you. I know this. He wants to call you friend. You know how I know this? I keep saying I know how I know it because his word says so. For God so loved the world. You're a part of it. That he gave his only son. No one's ever loved you that much. I promise that whoever believes in him would have everlasting life. The Bible says in Romans, for all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Listen to me. There is the opportunity for you today to lay all that junk down, to walk away from all of that, and to say, Jesus, I want you to call me friend. I guarantee you he will. Tell him that. Tell him that. And then holler at us. Let us talk to you, pray for you, encourage you. Let me pray right now. Lord, thank you for your word. Again, it's so awesome. Thank you for the privilege of being able to be in it together with others. Lord, help us love you as a friend. Worship you as holy. Lord, and depend on you in every way. But but also understand that you walk with us, that you're beside us, that you encourage us. Let our faith grow around that, Lord. I love you. Thank you for all that you do to bless us in Christ's name. Amen.